welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Kana Salbinas, Makalua, the main team, Mega Bears fan, with guest co-hosts, All systems go, launch in 3, 2, 1. Hello, interwebs, and welcome to episode 339 of Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. I am one of your regular hosts, Mega Bears fan, along with regular co-host Canis Albinus. I guess I didn't find us a guest this time. I'm sorry. Boo. And other regular co-host, the me and team. Always investing in more military units. And maybe at some point in the future, regular co-host Makalua. Insert (laughs) witty Makalua comment here. Maybe at some point in the future, although on the recorded episode, she'll either be here or she won't be. But fair enough for our live listeners. On the recorded episode, the statement won't even be there, so... Unless it's funnier than what she comes up with. It might stay there now. (laughs) All right, well, speaking of investing, our first topic is on Take-Two Interactive, an article. Six signs Take-Two Interactive stock is undervalued. They're making the case for it. And not only is SIP doing pretty well, but I mean, we have GTA 5 and NBA 2K still tethered to Take-Two Interactive as well. And those are also still doing quite well, despite their age. So there you go. Now, is there anything else uh, we should cover on this in particular, numbers-wise? That I, thought it was, I thought it was pretty interesting that EA and Activision are both down by double-digit percentages, like 30 and oh. 40%, and Take-Two well, is only down happy. 8 That definitely makes me happy, uh, especially uh, EA. Uh, EA's not only ruined many good game franchises, but, man, the, the, the whole lying to us in multiple <laughs> different times and not the whole buying really good developers that make cool niche products and then asking them to make mass market products and then shutting them down when they fail to make successful mass marketable products. Yeah, uh, over and over is, again. Yeah, it is exceedingly frustrating with, with EA. Yeah. Over the last five years, UK is up 451%, EA is up 165 and Activision oh, is up 106 Wish I'd bought some 2K stock five years ago then. Yeah. I had back in, gosh, what was this? This was sometime in college, I think. I started ordering a lot of packages from Amazon, and so this would be back in like 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. So, you know, date myself a little bit. I started ordering a crap ton of packages from Amazon. I'd get a package you know, almost every week and still living with my parents at the time. So, you know, my mom at one point joked that, well, why don't you just buy stock in the company? You might as well. You buy so much from them. (laughs) And I wish I had done that because since then, Amazon stock has gone up like something like 600%. If I had just put in $1,000 into Amazon stock when my mom nagged me to do so, I could have bought a house in California in cash with my Amazon stock. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. Although that, that's not the investment I would make with it if you actually got that kind of money, but fair enough. Well, I just, mean, you know, yeah, that's a context. good illustration. Yes, yes that's uh, quite incredible. But the upshot of this story is civilization is not likely to get shut down due to lack of funds, which is good news. Yeah. Yes. As yeah, long as the game keeps not doing happening. Well, well I, as far as I'm concerned, any franchise that can consistently be at five per, uh, at 50,000 players over a 10 year period 
on Steam, probably going to do okay. Oh, yeah. And I think Civ Five still shows up on like the top played games on Steam, like yeah. pretty regularly, like in the top 20, if not the top 10. If you add Civ 6 and Civ 5 together, you get around 60,000 people. And that's pretty good for games that are as old as they are. And considering how Civ 6 is kind of maligned and the, the way that the Steam reviews are handled, it's kind of impressive to me that it even exists. But then again, Steam reviews aren't exactly a good indicator of anything other than how people who don't care about real things feel. You know, this came up on the forum, and I don't completely agree with that. I mean, you get a lot of junk in Steam reviews, but I consider them like leagues better than quote unquote professional journalism. Oh, uh, definitely. When it comes to gaming, especially because like if you just look at the top rated comments or the top rated reviews, even for both positive and negative reviews, you can get a pretty good idea about the game. Now, if you just go by global average like reviews from Steam, nah, nah, because you get review bombs and other weirdness. But if you just look at the well-rated reviews, it's it's pretty good. If you're gonna unless you have somebody you trust, it's uh, it's about as good as you're gonna get, I think. And and Civ Six, of course, did suffer from a a large period of review bombing back with all the you know red shell nonsense and all that. So they, yeah, it's actually suffered from three different phases of it. I think there was when the original red shell story broke and then yeah. there was when rise and fall came out and that re brought up that. And then when right. gathering storm came out and people suddenly discovered quote unquote, you can't see me making finger quotes that the <laughs> EULA had changed back in May of the year before. And we're just like, Oh, well they're just going to take all your data. And then didn't bother to read, oh, well, it only means when you're actually doing things that they need your data for. Right, like crash data and error reporting and... Well, it was that stuff is always taken by every game that runs Steam. And that's not going to change and it doesn't need to change because it doesn't matter. What they were saying was, if you are going to join something that needs uh, for for like a sweepstakes or or a sign up thing or a membership... We have to have the information we need to make sure you're identifiable within our system. Because oh, if you're not, right. if you're not, then you're not actually in our system. You're just a random person. I remember that now. Yeah. Like if you win the lottery, if you win the lottery, we have to know who you are so we can send it to you. That kind of thing. Right. And people freaked out. Yeah. Well, people freak out a lot because they don't bother to read the actual fine print. It would help if they made it so that you could actually read it in plain language or maybe just make a bullet list so that it's readable by the average person and not just legalese. Yeah, that would definitely help. Legalese is annoying in general. And you think that would be easy enough to do, you know? There are companies that do it. It's just they don't tend to be big because they're niche products and they probably don't have a group of a hundred lawyers telling them what to put in it and they don't need to worry about that because they have such a small user base that one screw up isn't going to be the end of the world yeah they have a lawyer on call in case something happens instead of like having an active staff of several dozen lawyers at the office department that yeah that literally work for you that are employees i'd be uh, hesitant of any of the big publisher stock where a lot of their revenue comes from loot boxes and stuff like that at least until the law regarding that issue is settled because it could tank at any minute if laws change plus i suspect a lot of the gains have already been made that were like related to it if you're talking like just abusing loot boxes hopefully we've gotten past the worst of that stuff but i mean there's you we've seen statements before from some of these companies that you know I, in fact i think even 2k at one point said we want recurrent consumer spending i think that was what they called it in every game we publish <laughs> and that was like a year ago maybe like is it might have been just before the star wars battlefront 2 
fiasco when everybody kind of took a step back. But, you know, they're still doing it. And 2K, I think, has gotten even more aggressive with it in their NBA 2K franchise. I don't play basketball games. You know, I, I, you all know I play football instead. And as from what I understand, NBA 2K is even more egregious than Madden is because it, NBA 2K actually puts that stuff in their like single player career modes. Whereas mm. in Madden, it's you know, limited to an online only, you know, competitive multiplayer mode. Yeah. If you look down at the the fourth bullet on the list, it talks about GTA 4 and NBA 2K as driving 45% increased recurrent consumer spending over the last year. And yeah, like this is starting to make up like half of these publishers income. Yeah. And then NBA 2K is growing majorly in China. So that helps too. Like, right, it's, and it's like their biggest market is China. They have 45 million people over there who watch NBA. Well, right. they might survive a gambling thing then. Like if it gets ruled gambling here, something like that, they, they might be able to just like sell in China. Well, except True. that what happens when the, when um, China says, okay, you are not our state owned Epic games. Therefore, you cannot work here. Yeah, well, yeah, that's their problem at that point. And I, I worked in the gambling industry for like a few years doing online slot games. And, you know, one of the things that companies would do in that industry is you would tailor the product towards the most conservative district that you were in, you know, so that you didn't have to make 10 different versions of the software or the product for each different jurisdiction that has slightly different laws. So whatever was the most conservative, you would just deploy that everywhere. So it's possible that if these laws start changing and we've got, you know, because there's also a lot of European countries right now that are changing their laws according to this stuff. Like I think like Belgium is is one of the big ones. And I think a couple other of the Scandinavian countries. So if you get a situation where there's, you know, 10 different sets of laws in 10 different countries and you're in all of those countries, you might just be like, yeah, well, we'll just just back off to err on the side of caution with all of them, because that's the way a lot of actual gambling companies do work. Europe is kind of in the process of, of legislating itself off the Internet entirely. So, yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. And of course, EA has uh, EA in particular, I think, has like vowed to fight these laws in, in Belgium and these other countries. So they're, they're going to go down swinging because, like I said, this makes up something like half of their revenue. So they're going to fight for it. Yeah, there's a lot of money to be made. So, yeah, they're not going to give up easily. That's true. Yeah. So it might be a few years before we see any like massive fallout from this in the terms of like companies, finances and stocks and stuff like that. But it's, you know, it's something that could happen at the flip of a switch if if lawmakers in the United States in particular, like actually propose some regulations for these things. But anyway, before we decide to do Politicast stuff, which will always get plenty of views, not really. <laughs> well, if we're sufficiently sensationalist with it, we might start attracting listenership of a completely different type than Civ, but that's really not what we're going for. Not yeah. exactly, no. <laughs> Funny enough, I, I've got a you know YouTube video up where I go on a tangent about politics with regard to you know professional football and like almost all the comments on that video are, oh, this video was good up until you started, you know, talking politics and, you know, take your socialism and go somewhere else with it, like somewhere except for my own YouTube channel, you know, whatever. I don't whatever. But but anyway, the point is that video has like over an order of magnitude more views than any of the other videos that I've done. So yeah. uh, clearly me talking about politics is what these people want. So I might have to do it more. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I just don't like it when we have that kind of negative reinforcement because the last thing we need in our entertainment is politics. Yeah. Yeah. I sure. mean, but anyway. 
a Eurogamer article written by a contributor who I have no idea who is, and I don't really care. He played a five-year game of Civilization in Hot Seat with a friend of his, and he talks about how this game was basically a very commonly seen Civ Five game. They were on opposite sides of a lake, and Rome invaded them early, and they took a city-state, and... At that point, the entire world turned on them because Warmonger, and eventually they won the game by, I want to say, by killing the enemies, or did they just... No, they they won by domination. Was it a team game? Yes, it was a hot seat game. So I guess right, they, but a, I guess they but were a on hot a team. Seat team game, yeah. And they were they on... Th- I think they were on a team, I don't know for sure. But he goes on to say, well, this story... We have, we have documentation of this story going back to four years before this sto- article was written, which means the first year we played this, we have no idea what was going on. And they had just gotten a dog that is now having a midlife crisis. They... Oh, it's, it's just... It's a long, entertaining story, but it's also like, really? You, you wrote an article about this because you t- it took you five years to play the game, which I guess can understand. And then he talks about how it, it, it channeled part of his own life because he started out as a college kid and he's now getting getting a PhD and it just amused me but at the same time why didn't you just stop playing it it's not that big a deal is it I guess the point of the article is that it was a big deal for them although I skimmed through it and I didn't see much in the way of like why it would be a big deal they said they became obsessed with it and yeah. most of the time they were they got together to do it they were doing other things and just kind of doing and not caring about the game that much like they get together for three hours and not even play for two and a half of them yeah and I guess that's kind of the way that that games go. If you're going to play a long-term multiplayer game, things change in your life and suddenly things lose importance and gain importance. And it, it turns into kind of a time capsule of looking back and seeing, oh, when I was starting this, I was a college kid who had no responsibilities. And now I am a father taking care of small children, running my own business and being tired all the time. Mm-hmm. Not that that's autobiographical or anything. Yeah, I was going to say, you have something uh, we don't know about there, Canis? It's halfway true. I do run my own business, but I do not have children. And no, that business is not related to civilization. But it, it kind of a reminder of how Civ Five used to be. All the uh, Alexander the Great decided to be trade cutoffs and dealing with political influence to outlaw luxuries that their realms depended on and embargoes. And then eventually, when they finally took out the Athens and Sparta in 2002 AD, there was a great round of celebration right before the Roman Empire collapsed in 2024. Yeah, it's back in the good old days when the World Congress actually felt like it did stuff. It still does stuff. Eh. It's pretty inconsequential these days. Uh, okay. All the military emergencies. The, the, well, okay, well, no, the emergencies are good, but, like, the actual proposed resolutions just, I feel, are not very good in Civ Six, just because of the fact that nobody actually picks them, there's no real agenda. No, we must ban birds. <laughs> yeah, it's just we- random stuff shows up, and it's like, oh, whatever, I don't care. No, no, none of this is consequential, except for, like, the one in five games where, like, maybe something actually does matter. The one in five games where it's your base luxury that des- they, they decide, let's ban that. But even then, it still it still feels purposeless. There's no reason anyone to do that it just comes up randomly or at least it feels like it comes up randomly because i have no idea what their underlying algorithms are for choosing that stuff yeah i would love to know that because it's just excuse me ah, it's just uh, you sound I, like i, I, I feel yeah. <laughs> today i learned i need to set a backup alarm for this it would be nice even if we don't get to pick both of them 
if there was some way we knew who who had like more diplomatic influence that could propose at least one thing so at least one thing that's actually on the human's agenda and isn't just let's pick from the grab bag of random things that can happen in the in the world of congress or at the very least like give you like civ 5 did like five turns where you know what the the proposal is going to be and then you actually get to do the politics and intrigue of going to the different civs and trying to bribe them to vote in your favor or not or maybe just you know separating it into separate sessions so you get a session two or three turns ahead of time that says hey vote on what we think we should talk about at the world congress yeah that would and be then nice yeah. too. and then at the second one two turns later you decide okay so what are our opinions on this topic that, that way it wouldn't feel like some arbiter is going around saying well this is what the council of all above everything decided was important this cycle and none of the nations who are involved noticed it at all and don't care and it's frustrating because i feel like the emergency system works pretty well like if something happens that could trigger an emergency you're given a little notification and you don't have to do it right away. It doesn't happen automatically. Like you can sit there and wait till you've built up enough diplomatic yes favor until you actually propose the thing. And there's, you know, I, th- I think I've had that little notification on my screen in one game for something like 10 or 20 turns, yeah. uh, which was funny because I think it was for a natural disaster, at which point I'd like already, you know, fixed everything. But I still had the option to do it. And that's nice because it's player driven. But the actual regular resolutions that happen in the, the regular World Congress sessions just like uh they just feel so meandering. You don't most get to of the choose time. anything about them. Yeah, like none of the none of the agents in the game seem to have any control over over what's happening here. Even if there were like things that happened in the game that were environment based. If somebody this like emergencies are an example of what I'm talking about here. You got a situation where somebody takes another civs capital that is a trigger that causes a world congress event. Well, right. but wh- someone still has to propose it and it still has to be voted for. It doesn't just happen automatically like yeah. it did with Rise and Fall. So why can't we have something like that for other things that might happen in the world congress like climate change if we get to like level three of the climate change warning class we would say oh this triggers a climate conference or something instead of it just being oh you randomly got it because reasons yeah hecker even just like every time you go up a level on climate change like that should show up as an option yeah so we can go tell the ai could you stop with the coal already would you kindly (laughs) yes would you kindly but we can't bribe them here, take a thousand gold to stop using coal. Okay, thanks. I will use all the coal. I mean, you could You're tie the AI fill. You could turn the as embargo you know. system into reactionary, like the emergency system, where if you've got a sieve that's warmongering and it triggers an emergency, you can have a secondary vote. Oh well, maybe we should ban this guy's luxuries. Yeah, or someone denounces you. Maybe you have the you know opportunity to you know take some action in the World Congress against them. Maybe sanctions as opposed to just full-on invasion. Right, yeah. I feel like the framework is all there. They just have to do it. Yeah, it is. They just need some way for the, you know, agents in the game to to pick some of this stuff. Like I said, the emergency stuff works well. If the entire World Congress worked like the emergency system, I think I'd be pretty happy with it. Yeah, because with the emergency, the AI does know when it's appropriate to try and put a proposal before Congress for the for, for the World Congress. So if all the other things were like that and more a little more, I guess, contextual, 
then the AI could probably very easily learn how to push those things into Congress. Yep. That might just be because the the emergencies have been around for more than one expansion and they've been tweaked to be better. But yeah. But again, in, in Rise and Fall, the emergencies kind of sucked because they yeah. just happened at random. It was the same problem. And then they fixed that problem for the emergencies, but then created that same problem again for every other World Congress resolution. So it's like one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. I think it would be more two steps forward, one step back, because the, well, the emergencies yeah. do work now, yeah, as opposed you're, you're to not right. working. I missed yeah. the gold, though, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Diplo-Favor reward. Diplo <laughs> reward is pretty lackluster. Yeah, yeah. depending on what your, what your sieve is and what you're trying to do. But yeah, again, it's, it's just one of those little funny little ironies in game development. They correctly identified and addressed, and I would say fixed, a problem with the emergency system in the first expansion. And then they're like, hey, let's just do that same thing again with the new content in our second expansion. You know, make the same mistake. Like, ugh. I'm sure there's a, a logical reason why that would happen. But from those yeah. of us looking on the outside who say, you did this right. Make the other thing like this. Yeah, credit where credit is due. The emergency st- system is good. Like, now do that again <laughs> for everything else. Maybe they, they were worried that the World Congress would only show up if it was triggered by something, or if it was triggered by things, then it would show up every turn or something. I I, I just hope it wasn't something like, you know, kind of dumb, like, oh, we don't want it to work too much like the World Congress in Civ Five, because then it falls under the category of, of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's not necessarily a bad category. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a direct line to the developers, so to ask them. So, but it, it'd be nice to know. Do we continue save games? That is Caesar's name. <laughs> the goggles do nothing. Well, I think it's the Googles do nothing, isn't it? Oh, the Googles. Oh, it is Googles. Yes, because I can read very well today, apparently. Uh, but he was reading a different topic where people were trying to estimate what percent of your wins were with the victory types, and it uh, made him realize how many games that they started that they don't actually finish. And it's for them, it's because they're not particularly fond of the late game. They or no? No, it is that. Well, okay, I'm confused because the first sentence is, see, reading comprehension. They don't think it's not, no, they <laughs> do actually like the light game. It was just very awkwardly phrased. So let's put it that way. The double negative in there. Yeah, double negative is very odd. We don't not like the light game. But this is more that it had to do with being able to remember what the heck they were up to or thinking, oh, I must have done very bad when I was doing this. Oh, look at what I left and, you know, in my setup or, you know, they wanted to play multiplayer or it's like starting a game at 9 p.m. when they need to go to sleep in a couple of hours is not a good plan. It doesn't matter whether it's Civ or other strategy games, honestly. With regard to the forgetting what you were going to do, there is like the map pin system now. You can actually like label things and stuff like that so that that could be helpful in that regard i have taken to leaving notepad plus plus up and then putting before i you know when i when i save after i get out of the game and going okay remember on this game you're doing xyz and this thing and that thing because then i can read that later and go oh yeah i was doing that but that's only if it's a game that i'm particularly invested in and i really want to finish because sometimes you get to a certain point in game i think we've discussed it before with with 
this is not just Civ Six, but other Civs, you get to a point where you, you, you've won, but you still have to go for the technical completion. Yeah. I also really missed the drawing mode in uh, Civ Four. Yes. That was a lot of fun. I'll admit, I've had a notepad open beside me before as well, but in my case, it's actually a paper Physical. notepad. <laughs> yeah, because I'm... I'm kind of one of those weird people who actually still uses pen and paper for a lot of stuff. I know, shame on me, I'm a bad environmental steward, but I <laughs> well, recycle everything. Yeah, as long as you're not going through, like, an entire stack of notebooks every day or something. I mean, you know, if it's a notebook lasts you half a year, it's fine. So something that I noticed, actually, like a day or two ago, is that it seems like Civ Six's save files might actually save, like, game rules as well. I loaded up an old game with the Maori from like that I had started right uh, after Gathering Storm came out, and it was still giving me the old Mare bonuses of the was it plus two culture plus three faith, which in a patch I think last month or the month before was nerfed to mm. one and one, and I was kind of surprised to see that like oh I guess like, the whole game database or whatever must be in this save file, which probably explains why it takes so dang long to load a save game in Civ Six. Yeah, I suspect what's actually happening there is because it was a game that started in a previous patch, it is bugged. Because I doubt that they save all the specific things like that. I do know that the game does include a tag that tells them tells the game what game rules it's using. Because when you start a game of Civ Six, it asks you have that drop down menu that says, "Are you playing right. this scenario, or are you playing this version, or this version?" Right. But so I'm sure different... that's included, but I don't think they have all the individual rules in the save file because I don't think it's big enough for that. Well, what, what was interesting was that I did not have the Mare built already. Like I built the Mare after loading the game. Like it'd be one thing if the Mare was already built and I was still getting the old bonuses from it. But the fact that like I built one from scratch and it still gave me the old bonuses, that was what kind of threw me for a loop. Like what's going on here? I'm going to pull up a Civ 6 save and look at how big it is. Let's see, this one on turn 27 is 750 kilobytes. And let's see, one on one 271 is 3, kilo, or 3 megabytes. Well, I guess it could theoretically have that information in it. I bet it has a history file. Well, they all do now because of the, the Hall of Fame and, and all that stuff. I don't think that's a separate file. I think that's in the save file, at least until you finish the game and then they export it or whatever put into it the in hall the... of fame yeah yeah so anyway that was a weird thing that happened when i most recently tried to load an old saved game we should start a thread on the forum about that because that might be something somebody might want to look into yeah well and it was also weird because i had a a, a similar situation in civ 5 um where i had a, a marathon length game that i had started when the game first came out that i was trying to do a domination victory for and in the vanilla version of Civ Five, like I think every city gave you like what two gold and two science just from the city center tile. So because I was doing a domination victory, I had like all these cities scattered all over the place with just one or two population that I'd conquered and not raised because it was free gold and free science. And then they patched that out and also patched in the rule where the Colosseums only give you as much happiness as the city's population. Oh, no. And I reloaded that old save mm -hmm. game and I went from being at like plus 25 happiness or something like that to like negative 30. Jeez. Because, well, yeah, it did not keep the that did definitely did not keep the old rules when I reloaded that save file. And 
I had to jump through all sorts of hoops of like giving away some of these captured cities to the, you know, players whose capitals I'd already captured and were basically out of the game. And I think in some cases I even declared war on some nearby city states just in the hopes that the city state would conquer that city from me. Now, see, that would be a situation where I'd be like, okay, maybe I don't want to play this this save anymore. <laughs> no, I, I played it out. I did it, and I did win that domination victory eventually. But yeah, that was a, a <laughs> frustrating situation where, yeah, the game rules changed, and it completely tanked my economy. What was a good strategy when I saved the game was no longer a viable strategy when I loaded the game. Maybe maybe uh, it is a good idea to make save games non-compatible with new versions. But then again, sometimes it makes for really funny things to happen. It, it really depends. I know I get frustrated with the fact that pretty much every time I boot up Stellaris from Paradox, I cannot play any of my save games. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, on one, hand, on one hand, I can see where you might want to do it because it would be less game devastating. But there's so many people who play longer games who take this. You know, we were just talking about the other game where they took five years to play. Yep. I mean, can you imagine how frustrating that would be if you were three years into it and then nope new patch you can't play it anymore and in the case of stellaris it used to not be as bad because you could always just go into like the steam settings and just change it to whatever previous version you wanted oh, yeah. but i think yeah. i think steam stopped letting them do that and you can't do that anymore so it now it wasn't if, if steam they... it was the european privacy rules there they used to be able to set it so you could stay on whatever patch you wanted in the in a paradox games but then when the i don't remember the acronym but the 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 data thing that happened in in Europe last year that said you can't save data without telling them what it what telling people and letting them opt out that made it so that they could no longer do that for whatever reason that yeah, Sweden said and, I never understood what the connection between those two were like why would not being allowed to save data mean you can't let them revert to previous versions of the game that I never I read the you know descriptions of that law. They but do I, I never have something on the forum about it, and it is still possible to go back, but you have to do a few extra steps. Oh, is it still possible? Okay, well, yeah. that's at least good to know. I basically stopped playing Stellaris because I was like, well, if I can't go back to previous versions of the game where all my save files are, I'm just not even going to bother playing. Yeah, no, you can. Okay, well, that is at least good to know. Maybe I'll pick that game up again at some point. So let that be a cautionary tale to people who like to pick up old save files, because sometimes they break. Yeah, at least sometimes in hilarious ways. That definitely could make the late game harder, though. (laughs) If you're in the industrial or modern era and the game rules changed and suddenly everything that you'd done up till then was not viable and you've got to go back and fix everything. That could definitely add some challenge to the late game. Open a space race game where you've got a bunch of industry that you started before Gathering Storm and see how bad your pollution is when you do that. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, it's like opening up. It reminds me of opening up a save file from like a city builder game after an expansion pack. And it's like, oh, well, now I got to like go and redo everything because all the rules for all the transit systems have changed. Now there's all these better options for doing things that I was doing before yeah, gotta gut the whole recently. city yeah gotta gut the whole city yeah we readjusted how much power and whatever every building needs uh, now you're massively under capacity sorry right yeah i remember when uh when city skylines actually changed the rules so that solar power plants didn't suck anymore because they actually let them store power overnight whereas in the original version of the game like once the sun set like all your solar power plants stopped working So you had to go through the entire night cycle of the game with no power unless you had, you know, coal and oil plants to back them up. And then they fixed that rule. And it's like, oh, good. I can start building solar plants now. 
Not only did they fix solar plants, they added a new type of solar plant called the solar updraft, the updraft. tower. Yeah. Was that at the same time? I, th- I thought the fix to solar plants came be- way before that. I don't know I, if I they did it at the same time, but they're both true now. Hooray, renewable energy is viable. <laughs> I was about to say, that's not how solar plants work. Wait a minute, they don't just yeah. turn off at no, night. What? They uh, also don't produce enough electricity to run as efficiently as they do in that game with current technology anyway. But that's beside the point. There's my funny reloading save game anecdotes for this eve, uh, morning, afternoon. And, and also today's City Skylines comment. Yes. <laughs> I think we've talked about it on like three polycasts now this year. That's true. That has become a recurring topic, hasn't it? I rarely outload save games that are from previous patches because by the time a previous patch, uh, new patches come, I don't want any part of the old game to be part of my new game. It's like, if usually when a patch comes, there's not a lot of things in the old version that I like over the new version. So I just like, okay, this all this stuff is old and it doesn't fit anymore, so it can go away. Yeah, both Civ, and, Civ 5 and Civ 6 have been very good about not ruining the game with a patch or not, an expansion. Not 3.19ing it. Yeah, I don't recall that particular. In Civ, in Civ 4, they released a patch at the very end of the game cycle that bugged a mm. bunch of stuff and ruined it. Yeah, oh, including and then Overflow. Never fixed it. Overflow is permanently bugged in so far, unless uh, you mod it. Uh, ooh. Like, it made... It, what, what was it? It made the protective trait completely useless? Well, initially, the, the way it was in 3.17 is you could whip uh, and chop uh, walls to Overflow. Kind of like Civ 6, actually. Some things never change. But they they meant to do what they did in Civ 6, where you don't get the bonus anymore, but you still have overflow. But instead, they just made overflow not work at all. You just don't get overflow. Did Civ 6 patch out the overflow from chopping, from bonuses? I think so. I think they did. So if you've got, like, one of those policies that gives you, like, 100% on something, and then you chop and change to something else that's not that thing you're getting the bonus for, you don't get the 100% anymore? Yeah, but you still get overflow, which is not like Civ 4, where you got screwed out of the... Okay. I did not realize they had fixed that, because I've still been using that strategy. And it doesn't hurt anything, but I don't think it works as well. Well, I mean, it's still, it'd still be good. I, I, you still get the bonus for the production that you chopped that went towards the thing that should receive the bonus, right? Yeah. And, and then it's just, the initial. It, it's just the next thing you build does not get the overflow at 100%, plus 100%. It mostly works. Working oh, as yeah. programmed, not necessarily as designed. <laughs> there you go. That should be a new acronym. What would that acronym be? All right. Notepad. Wapnad. Wapnad. That sounds hilarious. Oh, you a Wapnad. That sounds like something you could catch. Quick editor's note. This topic about Pantheons was recorded two days before the announcement of the June patch, which significantly reworked Pantheons. It's here because it is still relevant mostly, but many of the things that we complained about have been addressed in the upcoming patch. Well, I think we can move on then if nobody else has anything else to say. So for our next topic, we will be heading into, what would you call it? unfamiliar territory we're going to attempt to create some first party content <gasps> that's silly rather than just 
reading a thread and commenting on it. So we're going to look at the pantheons in Civ 6 and discuss slash otherwise educate ourselves as to what their relative usefulness is. There are a lot of these that I have literally never taken. Yeah, there's a lot of them that seem very... Specific? Specific. I mean, that's the way pantheons are supposed to be if you look at the Civ 5 model. The Civ 5 model was pick whichever one fits your location best. And that means that you get certain things like faith from quarries, faith from barbarian outposts, faith from... What else are there? Faith from mines and luxury on resources, faith from features removed... Faith from unit enemy units killed, faith from charming appeal, and faith from tundra and desert, which seem to be based on the idea that if you have if you want faith, you should pick these, and they're all specific to one thing. And then you have the other sections, which are just general civilization bonuses, like plus twenty five to production in districts without a city, plus one to fishing boats, plus one to pa- plus one culture to fat pastures, plus one food to a long list of camp plantation resources, and then plus one culture to another long list of resources. Yeah, and then sometimes they're super specific, like river goddess, plus one amenity to a city if they have a holy site district adjacent to a river. Uh, how often is that going to happen? I think that's changed at one point because i thought it was just plus one amenity to any city on a river definitely take that one if you're the Khmer, because they get a bonus for having uh your holy sites next to a river as well so you can tack on an amenity to that as well hungary as well because they have the pearl of the danube yes and i think uh also the netherlands have some bonus for putting districts next to rivers i think so yeah, I suppose if you're one of the civs that's more biased to start in a, a wetter part of the map who is going to have rivers, then that's good. But if you're in the desert, that's not going to happen so often. Yeah. Right. It's going to be very civ specific and not even map specific, but civ specific. If you have a civ where you're going to be building your districts and holy sites next to rivers, then you consider that one. Otherwise, you don't even look at that. I yeah, mean, I never think of, I never think of doing Lady of the Reeds and Marshes, which is plus one production from marsh oasis and desert floodplains but you know on a desert start that would actually be really good that one is is really good also on marshy starts that's really yeah. good it's uh, good because usually you work marsh tiles because they're so good food yeah marsh tile is what three or four food it's like three, at least three food and oasis gives you gold i think as well as and other I, stuff and i think that production bonus stays even if the tile is improved so if it's like a marsh that has rice on it or something like that as like as long as you keep the feature yeah i actually yeah, get that one a fair amount yeah as long as you don't you know use the masonry ability to fill in the marsh you still get that same with building farms or whatever on your desert floodplains you can't remove a floodplain but you you know you improve that tile you still get the production yeah it's good especially cuz you don't even need to improve them to immediately benefit it's really strong to take that early game. The pantheons that will give you a bonus without having to invest in like builders or infrastructure are always really good things to look at at the beginning of the game. And one of my general rules is if I'm not specifically going for a religious strategy, I don't even bother looking at the ones that just give me more faith. Cause, you, know you know what, though? Like you can you can do stuff with faith when you don't have a religious strategy in particular. That is and true. The goddess of the harvest, considering how strong chopping is anyway. Like there's a reason that's one of the more popular ones that's considered strong. It looks like they could almost be, would you like to autocomplete some wonders? Yeah, and you get faith on top of that, which is really nice. I sort of wonder why God of Craftsmen and Religious Idols are two different versions. 
Because, I mean, couldn't it just... Oh, wait, never mind. There are different things. Uh, one is minds over strategic yeah. resources, and the other is luxury. But I, I really do one wish One is that faith, they were and com- one is production, too. Yeah, I, I really do wish that they were, like, combined, though, because I, I almost always look at those, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I have one strategic resource, so I don't want gods of craftsmen, but I'd about, rather have production than faith, so... Uh. How about just plus one production from minds, or plus two faith from minds? I would even I, one production for mines might be a bit too much, but at least well, on resources, I mean, yeah, on on okay. on any type of resource, yeah, any resource. I was going to say all like. the mines. Give me that one, right? <laughs> every game, yeah, so you can, all the mines. Yes, <laughs> you can be Canada on every terrain type. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would prefer if those were. I, I could see them being split up where one's production and one's faith. That's okay, but I like the God of Craftsman one. Almost every time, it's like, yeah, I've got one iron mine that i'm gonna get to use this on like whoop-de-doo because a lot of the strategic resource mine, like it might pay off later in the game like you might find like several sources of niter or something like that or coal that you're gonna have mines on and then it's like oh i'm glad i picked that but I, I just never feel like taking that risk i mean the only mineable resource in the early game is iron yeah and usually you have one or two but it's still better than goddess of the hunt because I rarely find camps anywhere. What do they have? They have deer and they're up by the tundra. If I'm on tundra, then I'm, you know, I might if there is a lot of camps because you're going to be needing food in that start. But a lot of times there's something better. Yeah. Usually if you're in the tundra, you'll go with Dance of the Aurora because of the faith from adjacent tundra tiles. Or you're building all your tundra cities along the coast and you take the the fishing boats one so you can get production on all those, uh, all those fish or crabs or whatever show up on the near the tundra. What else do we have? 10% city growth rate. Who cares? I don't think I've ever taken that one. Even when I'm playing as a civilization that benefits from large populations, I usually just take something that gives me food instead. It's so it's it's really good in the late game, but is it? Well, yeah, I feel when, like even then it's when you pretty are, marginal. When you, well, when you have a very high requirement to grow, it can help. And when you have fewer tiles that you're working because so many of them are districts now. Yeah. Basically, if you're at population 25, 10% makes a lot of difference in moving to the next level. But then again, yeah, if but, you're at pop 25... But what's the real use moving to the next level at that stage? Yes. But then again, I like making big cities because reasons. Yeah. So, it, especially oh, okay. since uh, specialists don't give you great people points. Like, yeah. that would be a really good reason to have high population cities. But without that, it's just kind of like... Eh, I mean, I'm I working all my tiles. I've got all my districts. I don't need any more population. These are bonuses we're choosing at the start of the game. So, like, having something that might help us uh, over 100 turns from now is not really... Yeah, uh, right. I don't know. My future vision is not going to be that good to tell me exactly what I'm going to do 100 turns from now. It's, just like, just you, it's I... not enough of a benefit. Early benefit snowball. Which you, is... you, they're like, it would need to be, like, plus 100%, and even that would be... Yeah. Well, at Which least then it might benefit thing. your early game enough to be useful. I guess. It's the same thing that I said for God of Craftsmen. Like, I mean, yeah, I can hope that I'm going to get some niter and coal mines, you know, 200, 300 turns from now, but I'm not going to gamble on that. God of Healing, eh, plus 30% healing in Holy District and adjacent tiles. Eh, I yeah. mean, if you're doing defensive wars, that would be good, but... And if what, you were invested you... into a religious game. Yeah. But if you're going for a religious game, you would want to go for something that gave you more faith. I could see something like that maybe being useful if you're like going on to a higher difficulty for the first time and you know the AIs are going to like rush you early and you just need the extra 
defense just to get you through the early game. It could also be useful if you have like a a mountain pass that you want to protect. You just put a fort on one tile and then a holy district behind it and then set some unit in the tile and watch them bleed themselves dry on your walls. Or an encampment encampment district would probably be better, but I couldn't remember the word off the top of my head. Right, yeah, and Civ 6 does like... Gotta always build those, lol. Yeah, and Civ 6 does love its long mountain ranges, so a lot of times they don't bother to give you passable tiles in between them, though, and that annoys me so much. Well, they gotta make those tunnels useful. Yeah, like, I I really wish that the game just had, like, two different kinds of mountain tiles, where there's, like, a mountain tile, and there's, like, a peak tile, and the mountain tiles are, like, passable, but you take damage for ending your turn on them. And the peak tiles are not passable. I don't know. I've never seen anybody walk up a mountain. Well, the idea being that, you know, like there's different heights. So the regular mountains would not be as tall as the the peak tiles. So basically those would be your mountain pass tile or actually just have an actual tile that's called mountain pass. I guess that would be okay. But just, yeah, some way to get through those earlier in the game would be nice, even if you've got to, you know, pay for it with like units taking damage or or something like that. It is true that even the Andes, there are places to get across them. Yeah, well, I mean, and you know, the Inca built their entire empire on mountains, so... Plus 15% production to classical and ancient era wonders. We need that. So narrow in scope. I wish that one at least included medieval wonders, and then maybe I would. Yeah. you think that, that would make sense thematically, too, because, you know, the religions are still going strong in the medieval era. I can understand that bonus, you know, tapering off in the Renaissance, but... I was going to say we're God of War, which is like, bonus faith equal to 50% of the strength of each enemy unit killed within eight tiles of a holy site district. Now, how often is that going to happen unless you're deliberately trying to... You put the holy site on the, like border of your city between something else and then you're luring people to that Uh, or if you capture a city with a holy district in it it might also be useful for barbarians if they start you know those barbarian scouts show up right outside your city and then you just you know send out an archer and just kill it for some free faith most of these do seem to be geared toward early game benefits except for a few Right, but then there's those ones that are really good that just give you plus yield for the whole game, like, uh, you know, God of Open Sky, or... uh, Let me make the Tundra actually viable, thanks. There's just such a disparity between those. I think that's just the nature of how things have to be, because they can't all be good. And then I have, uh, with the Monument to the Gods, I have the same problem with, what is it, the God of the Forge? It only covers ancient and classical units. Yeah, once again, couldn't extend at least just to medieval? I mean... yeah. Yeah, I'm still doing a lot of my unit building in the medieval era, so it'd be nice to if that just went one more era. I guess the argument is that by the medieval era, most of the world, or at least most of the quote-unquote civilized world, air quotes again, were monotheistic in nature, at least in the western part of the world. But then that has other problems because you guys hear a lawnmower. I hear something. I hear something. Feedback, yeah. something. My neighbor, it's, you see, it's been like, oh, well, it's rained every day for the last three weeks, and yesterday it didn't rain, and it's not raining today, so I hope everybody get out and mow their lawns, even though doing stuff. <laughs> but, but yeah, outside of Christianity and Islam, there's all kinds of polytheism all over the place, so pretty mm-hmm. Eurocentric, but then again, yeah. it is Civ. So. That's always been a criticism of Civ. Do you like EU4, where some religions are false choices instead? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. At least in Civ, you can just be the butterfly religion, and then you're good. 
I like the turtle religion. And you can call yeah. them whatever you want. Usually something offensive is preferred. <laughs> Religious settlements, border expansion, plus 15%. Yawn. Rap. Rap. Yeah. I guess it's there. I mean, I, admittedly, some of these are only here because, you know, if you're playing like a larger map where you've got 20 civs in the game, you need something for all those other civs to pick. So at some point, you're you're just getting the things, the leftovers, right? And you did not prioritize... Yeah, you did not prioritize getting a Pantheon. This is what you're stuck with. All the good ones are taken. You don't want to give, you know, one of the civs a really good benefit for not having put in any work. Mm-hmm. Although even on standard size maps, it like the AI takes junk so often that like you can yeah. often get something like God of the Open Sky where you have two, three pastures. And that's pretty good. That's a really good bonus early right. game. Like especially with that's the dirt of any priority. That's without any priority on it, on deity. Like, you can still get that kind of stuff. So, Even in a game where you're ignoring religion at all, and it just, at some point, you accumulate enough for a pantheon, and it's like, oh, hey, there's still some cool stuff open. Thanks, guys, yeah. for being dumb. Yeah. You you were the first person to meet that one religious city-state, and you've been getting one faith per turn. Yes. That you did not turns. at all work for, yeah, for 25 or 30 turns, or however long it takes to, to pop the pantheon. 25 turns at one faith a turn. I think it depends on how many pantheons have been founded. Doesn't it scale no, up? That was oh. at five. Oh, okay. Oh, also, uh, one we did not talk about, I don't think, is Divine Spark. The extra great ah. people points. That one is actually pretty good sometimes. Yeah, that's one for me if I don't specifically, or especially when I don't have any of the, like, I can't do the faith from stone quarries, or I don't have the right type of terrain for some of the other ones. It's like my default choice if I don't have something to specialize. Yes, that's exactly how I would put it as well. Divine Spark often ends up being my default choice if all the ones that give me bonuses to the yields near me have already been taken. Or just aren't applicable because of the way the map rolled. And it's got the proper way that it's done it, where it's not just, oh, you get one prof- one point to profits. No, you get one point to scientists, writers, and profits. Which means that it's the way that God of Craftsmen and whatever the other one was, religious idols should be, where the mine would give a bonus for all resources. Yep. I mean, I nobody would take something that just gave you great profit points because that's literally useless sure. once you yeah. spawn that first great profit. Like if, yeah. if profits did something after all the religions are founded, like if they were just like super buffed apostles, like I think they were in Civ Five, then there would be some value to having a pantheon that's more great profit points. But without that, you would just never ever take something that did that. Well, the AI would. The AI would make dumb decisions because oh, you're have a stuck high... with it because all the other ones are taken. Oh. Yeah, right, yeah. How many pantheons are there? Twenty-five. Like, like 20, 25, yeah. I just counted them earlier. I mean, yeah, I mean, you might be in a 25-player game. Does it let you put that many players in a game? I don't think so. I think it caps at 20. I thought it capped at 22 or 18. That may have been Civ 5, though. 18 would make sense because I think that's how many civs were in the vanilla release of the game. Yes, that's how many so, there are in every vanilla Civ, except for Civ 1, I believe. Right, so that would definitely make sense as a cap, unless they upped it for the expansions. So yeah, if the maximum number of players in the game is 18, and there's 25 Pantheons, like those 5 or 6 or 7 Pantheons that are just crap are just never going to get taken, ever. So maybe they didn't need quite as many. No, you never know, sometimes they have marginal utility over others. Every now and then. But you're not going to get to a point where someone has to take one of those because there's literally nothing left. We didn't talk about Sacred Path either. Faith from adjacent rainforests. Nice, yeah, that one can. Nice for, for people who don't want to cut down rainforests. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, guess who, which favorite sim of mine that one's great with. 
Oh, it, did they start with an M and end with an Auri? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect, because uh, especially if you can find a good starting spot where you're not too far from having a bunch of rainforest, and of course they got the bonus for not cutting the trees down, so it's like, hey, let me leave this, and I'll just take all the faith, thank you. Works real well with the Chichen Itza, too. Chicken pizza. Yeah, so yeah, that one can be good. That's basically just like the dance of the aurora and the desert folklore, but for mm-hmm. sieves that spawn on the equator. Rushing a district for state workforce. So, Incroc, I guess, would be how you say that, on Civ Fanatics posted a thread, do you rush a district for state workforce? Basically saying that they chopped, I guess, to get a campus in order to get the state workforce boost, and then is asking if other people do that, and if chopping for an early district is better than just building units or something else. I like to get as many of the Eurekas and Inspirations as I can, just because it speeds the way through the tech tree. And I'm one of those people who will often like research half of a technology and then research something else in the hopes that I'll get the uh, Eureka at some point in the not too distant future. Yeah. So I mean, I'm all for getting them where you can. And especially I think that one leads into political philosophy, which gives you your first government. Yes. So you, you want that one as soon as possible. So if you can get the Eureka for it and it doesn't require you to like go out of your way and take even longer to get to diplomatic philosophy, then I would say, yeah, do it. Generally, the strategy as detailed by what is it, Nuke AJS is if you're going for a religion, you want to get the holy site. And usually when you do the holy site, you will chop to get one for state workforce yeah. because that's on your way. And that's critically and important. Yeah. If you're on a if you're on a difficulty level higher than King, where like all of the religions are founded by the AIs like 30 turns into the game. Or on a lower level, if you want the, the monks belief because that one unerringly goes first it's always the first one picked no matter what sieves are in the game mm. every it? time now what is up with the eye hard on for that well it gives them units that are pretty strong and also it's not programmed to take into the, the as we've said many times the religion system in civ 6 is kind of not right yeah and it's never been right since i don't think i've bothered chopping a district that early i mean not even for doing religion because state workforce it come it's like it's not the last thing you research but it's usually then let next to last or second last so you have time usually to go through at least some of your early building and get out a couple of settlers first it feels odd to me to want i mean for at least from the way i play to want to chop a district so early unless you have a specific plan of something like doing the whole trying to get the religion super early or something well and if i've got like a great place where i'm gonna get like a plus four campus yeah i'm gonna want to build that as soon as possible and i might chop to get it out sooner but i might not even need to to get that eureka because i'm gonna build it so early anyway yeah and the first district is going to be the easiest one to do so it feels like well why don't i save this for chopping maybe chopping in the library after i get the campus up or something i mean if i absolutely had to chop something you know right yeah and if i'm gonna chop i'm gonna try to do it when i have you know a policy card that's gonna give me a plus 50 or plus 100 percent modifier or i'm gonna save it for a wonder where you know you either get that out first or you don't get it at all because also worth saying that 
if you're going to put a campus down early, it's pretty easy to get a plus three campus, which gives you three era score for getting into the classical age, which can be very helpful if you've got barbs turned off. Yeah, if you've got barb turns off, uh, turned off, then getting those early golden ages are really difficult. Or early non-dark ages. Yeah. That seems to be a common theme in our turn cast games. Oh, we are in a dark age because there are no barbs to get points from. And especially if you also <laughs> have... speed doesn't yeah. help. Yeah. Especially if you also have villages turned off because I think those are also a source of early era score. Yes. Yeah. But you like, not- on slower or faster speed, you just can't explore as much. So you can't hit as many of those either. It, it all adds up, really. Yeah, it, it compounds. Compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. I don't, I don't usually have time to go for early districts because the uh, AI puts too much pressure. So yeah, it's, it's really... Just, uh, like really my only district on- is the city district. They go for more of those. Yeah, it's really going to depend on the difficulty as well. If you're playing on deity, there is going to be a lot more pressure on you. But if you're, you know, playing on king, emperor, you know, you've got enough enough leeway to go for getting a, a campus or a commercial hub. They still work one in. It's just not like a rush. Well, it depends what you mean by rush, but generally you're not rushing that out. Yeah, and on deity, if you're going to be rushing any district, it's probably going to be an encampment just so you have the extra walls in case you need them. At that point in the game, culture points are pretty rare. So culture inspirations, I think they're called, tend to be worth more. That's also true. Because at that point in the game, your only source of culture is whatever your unique building unit thing is. Or and monuments. monuments. Unless you've yeah, unless you've got a sieve that has a unique something that gives you culture. Which can mean that can take you thirty or forty turns if you're unlucky. Which is a lot. Well, thirty or forty turns, that seems like a lot. Maybe it's twenty turns. But either way, that's still a lot. That's a th- that's over almost half an era. And I found in general that getting the culture inspirations tend to be more difficult, at least for me, than getting the, the technology Eurekas. That might just be because it's harder to know what they are. They're more, they're more obscure because we're more focused. We're, we are hard grained after 25 years of Civ to go mostly for science as opposed to culture because culture didn't mean much for so long. Well, I'm it's- talking about the, the Eureka bonuses in particular. Like, I, I just feel like triggering those is, I, I don't do those as often as I get the technologies. Like, they, they require me to go further out of my way. At least that's kind of how I feel to get those than to get the tech. A lot of the technology ones, you know, I get just by doing what I do every game. Yeah. Whereas the Eurekas, I, I actually feel like I have to plan around getting an inspiration on the culture tree. Whereas I, I don't, I rarely feel like I have to plan it for the techs. Yeah, a lot of the times the tech ones, you just stumble into it because it's stuff you're going to do anyway. Like, one of them, I think for shipbuilding maybe build two galleys okay yeah and, two galleys. yeah and a lot of those early tech ones are basically just for improving a resource you built a farm you built a pasture you built a quarry like yeah if i have those resources i'm gonna do all of those things and i'm gonna do them all pretty early but then on the culture tree it's things like build a wonder and it's like uh yeah i don't yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm playing on a difficulty level above king or emperor like i'm, I'm sorry I, wonders it, it, yeah it like Going for Stonehenge is just too much of a crapshoot. I can't risk it. Sorry. Okay, maybe not Stonehenge, but Stonehenge and the Great Bath like are like turn friggin' fifteen. They're out in a lot of the games I play. Like if I'm gonna get an ancient or classical wonder, it's gonna be something like the Colossus or the pyramids. I think don't get built a lot because not a lot of civs like to build on the desert. So if I've got a desert start, I'm like, yeah, I might go for pyramids. And now we have once again reached the point where we need to push back the last topic. 
we're, we're very chatty today. We'll hit this topic eventually when the next patch comes out. I don't think it, I don't think we're going to get a patch before the the end of spring, so we'll have plenty of time. But speaking of logical things, it is about lunchtime, so maybe we should end the podcast. So this has been episode Polycast episode three thirty nine. I am the slightly late Makalua, and with me as usual, Candace Albinus. Maybe I'm here, maybe I'm not. Um, there seems to be some discussion about lawnmowers infiltrating my room. <laughs> Mega Bears fan. I will go back to thinking about my patch wish list for 2019, which we may talk about later. Hey, maybe next time. And maybe. the me and team. Always utilizing the most extra balanced options. Yeah, I know at the top of his, uh, top of Phil's patch wish list, it has something to do with the user interface. Yeah. Good guess. Redo the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs>